sorry I don't love you A fresh I've grown accustomed to Cause with you if something isn't wrong Something isn't wrong Something isn't right Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back, as is Sean Gonzalez. We are talking all about Annihilation today. We will be covering the book and the film, so obviously, as with pretty much every episode of this podcast, spoiler alerts, and I'm really bad at saying that. I figure it's just a given, but just in case here. So, Sean, how are you doing today? Doing quite well. How are you? Pretty well, too. And I know this is something you definitely wanted to talk about right after you saw the film. So, you know, you had to wait a little bit for me to catch up and go see it. But I have finally done that. I think I did that last week, give or take a few days. But I had actually read this book. I was listening to The Watch with Chris Ryan and Andy Greenwald, and they do this double down book club. And they had suggested that people read Annihilation by Jeff Vandermeer. And I was like, okay, I don't know if this is quite my thing, because as far as sci-fi stuff goes, Star Wars is kind of my extent of that. And even that, it's kind of a reach for to call it just straight sci-fi, because yes, it happens in space and everything, but there's so much more to it than all of this sort of different kind of stuff going on. And I know we've previously talked about Arrival too, which is something I wanted to watch, but I wasn't sure if I would enjoy, but I ended up enjoying. So, you know, when you wanted to talk about this, I was like, okay, yeah, I'll go see this film because I have read the book. Did you read the book right before watching the film or was it something you had read a while ago? Um, I read the book two days before I saw the movie. I sat okay. down. Um, I... I don't know how I came across it was mainly through Reddit. I think um, I'm really into like also Natalie Portman as an actress, and but I was on Reddit and I saw the like film poster, and then someone was like, "Yeah, this is probably going to take over what the book cover is." And then I saw what the three books themselves looked like, and their covers were really unique. And I was like, "I'm going to go get those." And then I sat down two days before I saw the movie and read the entire book. It's a really quick read. It's like 195 pages. <laughs> Yeah. And see, the thing is, when I read the book, it was on my Kindle. So it probably seemed longer than it actually was just because all the numbering gets a little off on a Kindle. But it was one of those things where some books, I just get really distracted while I'm reading them. And I don't quite retain as much as I thought I would. But after seeing the movie, I was like, okay, I kind of remember these things being different in the book and everything. And one of the big things in the book were the importance of the journals that Natalie Portman's character was reading, basically. So she has all of these journals from her husband, and she's sort of trying to work everything out in the book. And I think if that's something we would have seen in the film, it would have been a much different film than it was. So was this one of the things where, because you read the book so close to the film, were you surprised at how different they were? Or were you sort of just happy that you have these two different versions of almost the same story basically yeah um for those also listening the book and the movie are entirely different like right. there's like two things i think the book really takes over or that the movie really takes from the book but i would say that i'm happy they are two separate entities because the book is kind of uh, not even kind of the book is extremely ambiguous there's no names of characters there's really no description of anything it's kind of left for you to like put it together and that's why i think i love the film because they gave alex garland who is really starting to come to his own uh and already has done amazing movies writing they took this 
he made it something, you know, what he saw, he brought it alive. And I think that tells a lot of how this book was written and this like journalistic, episodic um, caricature of what Area X was. So to put it shortly, I love that the film took that and made its own. Yeah, it definitely just took the very, very general premise of the book and sort of spun it a different way. But one of the things you said with the books is that you went out and bought all of them. So this is the first book in the Southern Reach trilogy. And I feel like I don't recall how the book ended exactly, but I feel like there's sort of a single story to be pulled out of the book instead of having to read all three books, you can still get sort of this full story just by reading the first book, because personally, I have not read the second and third books in the trilogy, and I've actually heard they aren't quite as good as Annihilation. So knowing me being the completionist that I am, I will probably try and go read those at some point, but I'm not in a huge rush to do so right now. Yeah, and uh, even Alex Garland, when he was writing the film and adapting it, uh, he only read the first book as well. Yeah. And the first book ends with uh, the character, the biologist, who is Natalie Portman in the movie, who um, she basically says uh, in her journal, like, don't or I'm going to try and go deeper into the shimmer. Like, don't come and find me, basically. And it just ends. And then it would go on to the next book. Um, so, yeah, if that would have been like the movie, I would have been like, that was what was the point of this and that was kind of how i read the book it was like all right so like if it's just off this book like what's the point so that, I'm, that's why i think the movie did a really good job on taking the in the premise and then the kind of characters and then going off on its own yeah and a lot of the things from the shimmer are the same you know the disappearances the cancer the mental trauma and everything that we do see in the movie a lot of that is pulled from the book but it's sort of the journey that is quite different. And like we said, because the journals aren't even around and it's actually her journals. I think that they are sort of telling the story through in the book. She's keeping these logs and everything. And I think, you know, she finds out about the husband while writing her journals. So I totally flipped that. I thought it was the husband's journals, but you know, that's what I get for reading the book (laughs) so long ago in comparison to the movie. I mean, it wasn't super long ago. I think it was last year, the year before. I don't recall exactly when it was, but it's just one of those things where if most of what we had seen had been Natalie Portman writing in journals, I don't think that would have been nearly as exciting of a movie, but the book does lay the groundwork for it very well. And you can tell this sort of story a bunch of different ways, you know, and since they weren't following the book super closely, they could have had a variety of different things happen during the journey, like, you know, just the order the people die in or something or why they die or how they die could have been done so many different ways because you don't know really anything about the shimmer. But you know, I don't think a lot of people want to hear about the book too terribly much since the film is more fresh. So why don't we go ahead and just dive more into the film in general? Because I don't know how many people read as much as you and I do, because I yeah. know I know you come on here to talk about books, too. And it's one of those things where 
I think this is so different that people don't need to read the book to even understand or enjoy the story in the film version. 100%. So one of the main things that stands out with the film that I really want to talk about are the visual effects because this movie just looks stunning from beginning to end and they did the visuals so well too it's like you kind of want to go in the shimmer just to see all of these things for yourself but at the same time you're like nope that's a very bad idea yeah they did a they did i think alex garland and his team did a really good job you know imagining what things would look like even from like the flowers to just the like the flowers really stood out and then like i don't know what you would call it but it almost looks like moss um, they call it like malignant, just like mutations essentially, but that's just all over the place. And then it's in like a national park too. So there's already like kind of an idea of like nature being there, but then the shimmer just enhances it. And it's mainly in like the background a lot, but it's just really cool to look at as you see characters, you know, walking through it or doing whatever through it. They really did a good job. Yeah, and it's not even just the flowers that have these crazy mutations, too. When we see the ginormous alligator, I believe. Yeah. I don't really know the difference. I always get alligators and crocodiles confused, but I'm pretty sure it was an alligator because it had the wider nose or whatever. But like when it opened its mouth, it looked like shark's teeth in there or something. So it was just sort of this crazy mutation. And Natalie Portman just shoots the crap out of the alligator. And it's one of those moments where her military background sort of shines because it's not really something she puts on display. She's certainly focused on being a biologist and not really bringing up her past until that very moment when it's like, okay, this is kind of a life or death situation. Yeah, and you know, it's it's interesting seeing the alligator and I think it was I don't know, it was such a quick moment almost, but then when like she sees the two like deers and like one of them has flowers on it and they almost look like I don't know, I can't even describe like what they would be as like a real life animal besides that, but they look beautiful. And then there's the um town with the plants right. that are like human shaped. Yeah. And that whole area is really beautiful too. And then you also have the what or what is being called the bear and that thing is horrifying. So <laughs> Yeah, it's like, you know, the flowers and the plants and everything, they give you this beautiful imagery and then you have all of these reptiles and things like the bear that are just completely terrifying it's like how did this happen when the plants look so nice (laughs) and it's definitely a stark difference in the visuals with them too because when they are holed up in one of the houses and the bear hybrid thing comes in it's definitely one of the darkest moments visually in the film because you know they don't really have any lights on they're in this very small room tied up to chairs and this ginormous animal just comes in and starts attacking and it's way different than being outside and seeing the bright colors of the flowers and everything and I think they did that really really well yeah and that whole scene with the bear is super terrifying because of the way, again, this kind of goes ties into visuals, but also like kind of ties into how the film's edited and sound wise. Like, so the bear 
has, and I've, I saw it again last night. So the bear has a human skull on its left side as well as its like own skull coming out. Yeah. And then it's obviously it's screams are like mutilated um, screams from Shepard, who was like basically a surveyor geologist person. And that was one of the most interesting and terrifying ways to like bring out I don't know, like inner horror or whatever. So that was extremely, extremely interesting. It's really tense. Um, but yeah, I think the animals were trying to figure out the best way to mutate and survive without like, you know, being conscious about it. Whereas the plants are just, you know, growing and becoming really beautiful and luscious. So yeah, it was, <laughs> it was really terrifying seeing uh, the animals again. But that bear scene is claustrophobic and it's actually interesting too and we'll get into this later but that house they're in is actually the same house that natalie portman was in before she entered like it's like the same house with the same paintings and same stuff like structure okay really cool. good i was hoping i wasn't going crazy i was like that literally looks like her house yeah. that she's in and i was like this is kind of bizarre so i am glad that you saw that as well because at first i wasn't entirely sure but then it's like okay how was her house suddenly transplanted into this area x in the shimmer and everything and you know i think she had sort of that look on her face like this looks familiar when she walked in too because you see her right by the stairs, I believe it is. And she looks and sees the photo and the placement of the photo. And she kind of just like gets this look on her face where she's like, I shouldn't tell them anything. I shouldn't tell them anything. <laughs> and, yeah. You know, she's keeping this secret from all of them except for Ventress because, you know, her husband was there before her and she just tells everyone else that she's just a biologist and that's all it is and that's why she's there and the audience already knows that's not the real reason and one of the big changes they made from the book too is that she has an affair while he's a the husband's away and it's interesting but i think it sort of helps drive him to taking the assignment to go to the shimmer and everything and you know i think the affair is something that quite a few critics brought up in their reviews and everything, since it was something that you weren't entirely sure if they needed that in there or if they just sort of put it in there to put it in there. So when her husband goes into Area X and he's just gone for an entire year, she has no clue where he is, no clue what happened to him, no idea if he's dead or alive. And then all of a sudden he just walks in the door one day. And that was crazy to me because it's like, okay, you have been gone for a year. What is going on? Yeah, it was. Uh, so the husband in the affair, after seeing it again last night, uh, there's a really subtle way that they tell that story. And it starts when, um, so when like the little screen crawl says the shimmer, right. then it shows, instead of showing the shimmer right away, it shows Natalie Portman's affair. And I think that that like, I don't know, the unison of that was really important. I think a lot of people didn't really see that right away or didn't really understand that. Um, but I think that that needs to be like made because the shimmer wasn't just, you know, 
the area. The shimmer was also the people. Like, right. so Natalie had already done this to her life. She'd already, like, technically mutated it. And there's a whole theme of twos and twos and twos. But it was really important for that. And I think that the, like, studio and Alex Garland put that together really well because I think you needed that. Yeah, and the man she has an affair with is one of her co-workers who is also married, and he doesn't feel quite as guilty about it as she does, but you get the sense that when Lena has the affair, Kane kind of figures it out, and you can see their interaction when he leaves for the last time. You know, he sort of just has almost a blank look on his face, like he's like, I have to go right now. And there's like not a whole lot of emotion for him. And she's sort of like right now, right now sort of thing. And I thought they did that scene really, really well. Because when you find out about the affair and everything and you see that moment, you're like, okay, you know, he definitely knows something or wants to say something that he's not saying. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think even Natalie Portman figured out that he knew and it was You know, one of the main themes is that everyone that went into the Shimmer had nothing out there in, like, real life for them. Right. So that was, like, his drive and then Natalie Portman's drive to kind of figure out, you know, why he went in. And that kind of was in the book, too, um, a little bit. But, yeah. And before we go anywhere else, I just want to say the scene where Kane is cutting open his uh, fellow, I don't know, military friend. Right. That is insane. And then to see what happened to him in the pool, I think that needs to be like, I haven't heard anyone else discuss that, but that set needs to be like in a nomination for set design because that is the most like hauntingly beautiful thing I have seen in a movie in a long time. Yeah, I don't see how this movie wouldn't at least get nominated for Oscars for like visual effects and everything like that, because it was amazing how well this looked. And I think, you know, that's something people pointed out across the board. It's like, even if people didn't like the story as much, everyone can sort of agree that the visuals in this were just amazing and it's something like okay you can see the visuals you can see how good they are you can't really dispute that sort of thing but the story is the you know the meat of the movie of course and I know you want to talk a little bit about the hidden meanings and the ending because the ending is definitely something I don't think I was expecting going into the movie so yeah There's a lot of hidden meanings in this movie, and there's a lot of ways to look at this film, whether you, and I was just talking with someone last night, uh, but they were discussing how, like, what's the alien's purpose? And I was like, well, what is our purpose? Like, the movie is much more about humanity than it is about this, like, sci-fi extraterrestrial idea, and that's why it's so ambiguous uh, about, like, what they're doing, besides just refracting DNA. And so, you can look at everyone going in there and having their own personal struggles to overcome, or you can look at it as the shimmer is terrifying and we don't know what to do. And so it really comes in with Josie who was played by, um, gosh, she's on Westworld. Tessa Thompson. Yeah. Tessa Thompson. So when she, you know, 
she has all these scars on her arms and you know they, they said she was trying to feel alive and then she's the only one that really comes to terms with the shimmer and decides to take off her jacket show her scars and then she kind of like becomes something beautiful you know it's hinted that she goes and becomes one of the plants that look like humans or she turns into a tree or something like that and so i think that whole scene is just she accepted it and she didn't want to die in a horrific way she didn't want to fight what she was trying to do like natalie portman was and then there's also ventress and i heard it last night and it was super interesting but she basically says but right when she leaves for the lighthouse alone she says the person that came in here and the person that are leaving are not the same but i'm going to end it right so it was like you know everyone is going in there finding a way to either get rid of their life or come like come against what they're terrified of and then either embrace it or you know kind of self-destruct which is the whole point of the movie um and then obviously natalie portman is figuring out why her husband went in and what like drove him to do it because she wanted to drive herself to do it so it's it's crazy and then once it hits the ending which so basically, they have to get to the lighthouse, and then the lighthouse scene is unbelievable. So, what did you think about the lighthouse, um, and then like that whole twist? And then I'll tell you like my whole idea behind it. Yeah, I thought the fact that you have Lena getting there after Ventress, and Ventress is already down in that hole, basically, which is sort of the heart of the shimmer, I guess. And she's already been taken over by it. You know, she's sounding kind of creepy at first, to be honest. And you have Lena sort of just trying to figure things out. And there's like this big, bright explosion and everything. And Lena is also dealing with seeing two different versions of Kane on film. And what I found I suppose the most unbelievable is that that camera would have still had any battery left for her to watch that video, but that's besides the point. <laughs> and, you know, because we don't know how long it's been there. Right. Because he was gone for a year. Right. So that's a, that's a, that's a thing that I've seen people talk about. And it is kind of like crazy to think that it could still be there, but we don't know if the cane that came back literally came back right after that scene or if yeah, he came back. True. And, yeah, so it's just, and the other thing you got to think about with that too is Natalie Portman was, or the biologist, you know, Lena was technically in the Shimmer for like months. Right. So was she in there, were they in there months before getting to the lighthouse? Or like, and that's like kind of where the time like delusion happens. But yeah, it's a little weird to think about. Yeah, and we see her being questioned throughout the movie too. So we see that she has survived and that she is having to field all of these questions about the shimmer, about her husband, how she got out and all of this. And that sort of breaks up these scenes too in a good way because you get to see sort of her reaction after the fact to some of these things. And I think the lighthouse probably had the biggest impact on her just because of that video and I would even say that video more so than the one where Kane's cutting the guy open and his insides are just moving all around. But before we dive more into the ending, one of the characters we haven't talked about much is 
Anya Thornton, who is played by Gina Rodriguez, and she sort of ends up being the paranoid one because she's the one who tapes them up to those chairs that we mentioned earlier when the bear attacks and everything. And you can definitely tell that her mind is being affected the most and she doesn't know what to believe anymore, who to believe or what to do about any of it. And for someone who is largely a comedy actress, I think she played that role very well. Yeah, her uh, enunciation of swear words kept like a little bit of humor in the movie, but she she definitely has a presence when she is kind of interrogating them. And like when uh, Ventress tries to like uh, say something through her muffled, she just turns and says, you shut the fuck up. And like she had this commanding presence in that scene and it was it, it helped bring it to life. Yeah, absolutely. So then we get even more after Lena, you know, leaves the lighthouse and manages to find her way out. And who knows how long that takes, too, because it's not like the lighthouse was right by the entrance where they came in or anything like that. Right. Yeah, it's 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 definitely it's definitely wild once it and uh, but once it hits that part, you either like are like, all right, I'm done because, you know, you see Kane and you see him uh, blow himself up. And then Lena enters this, this tunnel kind of like idea and she finds Ventress and then the movie just like takes off into some of the most stunning visuals I've seen, some of the most incredible choreography I've seen. Yeah. And the music, like um, it was done by Ben Salisbury and Joffrey. Oh, I don't remember the other name. Um, hold on. I just want to make sure I get it right. Joff Barrow. I was close. But those two did such an incredible job at kind of narrating the movie with the music too. I've listened to the soundtrack um, by itself and you still have like this Trent Reznor industrial kind of feel to it. And you can still listen to it without seeing the movie, but it's really, really, really amped up in the lighthouse and it's just loud and abrasive and the visuals are going ballistic. And it's just one of the, it's like, it's like hypertensual, you know, like, you just you don't know what to do uh it's a lot of sensual um like feelings so it was a uh, it's like i felt glued again seeing it i was just like glued and just like holy cow who how what so i don't know that that whole lighthouse scene i think is crazy and then i mean once you see the the alien that's technically what they're calling it it's stunning it's crazy and it brings up more of these like hidden meanings um, that I'll get into in a little bit. But I mean, what did you what did you think when you were watching that whole part? Like, how do you describe it? As soon as, like you said, the alien type figure started mirroring Lena's every move, I was like, oh, this is getting very intense. And it's like, she's not even interacting with a real person. She's interacting with something that's alive, because it's sort of forming and moving and all of this stuff. But it's one of those things where it really makes you stop and think about what's happening because as soon as you see the two versions of Kane on camera, you're like, okay, where is this going? And then you see this version of Lena forming and it takes its time too. It's not like a very quick thing where it's just like all of a sudden a second version of her pops up. It is you know silver and the face isn't fully formed yet but you can definitely make it out as a 
human body form. So it's one of those things where it was just so interesting how they did that. And then, you know, she finds the grenade and hands it to the other version of her. And she just bolts out of there. Yeah. And the other version of her kind of just, like, doesn't know what to do with it. Yeah. It's, all right. This is this is where I think this this whole film comes together for me, right? Like, so if you look at the lighthouse, and then you see the tunnel, and then you go in, down into the room where Ventress is kind of, like, spewing off these crazy ideas and how it's going to take over and then annihilation... So if you think of it and you look at it, it's very much like a womb and the tunnel is very much like a birthing canal. Right. So that whole like metaphor plays out. And then obviously it took uh, Ventress's body and it took Lena's blood and then it made something. And then that is like a terrifying thing. And then so Lena runs out and she is basically pictured or like portrayed as you know and she even says it in the interview she's portraying that it's mimicking her and so it's like well did it fight did it like did it fight you and she's like no i fought it so there's a lot of people that are putting that as like uh you know how you deal with like depression or anxiety or just your overall life you're fighting yourself more than you're fighting other things and that whole scene where she gets knocked out by it and then she tries to escape and then she's trying to like push against it to get it off of her, but it's pushing back and it's so claustrophobic. Like Alex Garland really got up close there. It's so claustrophobic. And so when she realizes that she is the one that's causing her own pain, she like lets go. And then she obviously ends up giving the alien a phosphorus grenade and then it goes back to these interviews, which some people didn't like, like the interview um, style, but I think it was needed. And I think um, it shows up, you know, only when it needs to. And there were there were also some people that were like, well, we know everyone dies and we know she survives. And it was like, well, have, like the book did the same thing. Like the second page of the book is like, I don't even know why I'm writing about these people. They all die. Like, they die in a day. <laughs> so, that, I don't know. When you, like, try to put that lighthouse scene together, there's so many ways you can look at it. And I think it means a lot when you kind of realize that it's more about humanity. Like, this just sci-fi thing kind of, like, takes a back seat when you, like, really try to put it together. So, I don't know. It blows my mind. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And... Even after she blows up the lighthouse and everything, we still get this scene with her and the other version of Kane, who doesn't really know anything about anything, it seems. He's very confused and like, I feel like you're familiar, but I don't really know why or how. Yeah. And so, do, all right. So before I go on to this point, do you think that's the real Lena or is that her duplicate at the end? Well, her duplicate hadn't totally fully formed I don't think when she handed it the grenade I think you know she started to see her own face and that was when she was like okay I have to do something here before you know what happens with what happened with Kane ends up happening with me so I feel like it is her because Lena felt way more informed than Kane did she didn't have the sort of loss of memory because she went to see him and she was like do you know who I am sort of thing 
So it felt like she knew too much to have been the alternate version of her. Right. And so there are a lot. And then obviously, so the big ending is Kane's eyes have these little glow to them and they're like shimmering. And then when you look over at Natalie Portman and Lena's character, her eyes have the same thing. So a lot of people are just like, oh, the duplicate made it out. But I think I think what the importance of that is showing is that we we know that's not really Kane. We have a hundred percent knowledge of that happening, but Lena is still going to be affected by the shimmer because her DNA was completely reformed, essentially. So that's why I think her eye is glowing. It's she's she was in there, but she took out her own blood and saw it inside of her. So I don't think that there's a way to, you know, get that out. Like once the shimmer exits, I mean, wouldn't when the shimmer blows up you would think that everything would die, but Kane is still alive and kind of there's still his duplicate still alive. And then, so obviously Lena is still alive. Um, but I think the, the importance of that is she faced why she took out or why Kane went in there and she faced why she went in there and she came back. So I think that the like embracing hug is her either accepting that she has at least Kane something of Cain. We don't know if it has his memories. We don't know anything else. So it's almost like she gets to, you know, be reborn with Cain and, you know, start again. Maybe. We don't know how that's really going to play out. Um, But that's that's where that whole, like, birthing canal womb metaphor really comes in, is she has a chance to be something different. And obviously she's going to be something different because she has this crazy uh, mutation in her DNA now. So... We don't know how that's going to live out, but yeah, I really love that human essence that the film really brought in that ending. Yeah. One of the things too, though, you talk about the hidden meanings and everything. Lena comes out of the shimmer with a tattoo Yeah, that she didn't have going into it. So then that sort of brings up the question, okay, was that the humanoid version of her or you know, did the shimmer just somehow magically give her a tattoo? So I think that's where, you know, I definitely understand your concern for whether or not Lena is actually Lena. Right. And so the, the tattoo on her kind of makes an infinity looking. I think it's a snake in like the infinity symbol. Right. So it's, uh, it's an Ouroboros, which is like a Greek, um, symbol with a serpent or dragon eating its own tail essentially and so it's that in an infinity and everyone started to get that it was on the person that was cut and left out in the pool it was on his left arm it was on Anya's left arm yeah and it wasn't on Josie's though so I don't know why or how that spread about or exactly what it's supposed to mean but I think it kind of ties you know if you look at infinity and uh you know, the idea of eating your own tail and like kind of this never ending cycle. Um, They talk very briefly and then it's shown again, but Lena basically says all cells are immortal. So we have this mutation where we die. And I think that that and the book she was reading when Kane was reading a magazine um, has to deal with the first person whose cells had like been they're they're immortal they're cancer cells that are just going to keep growing and so they have that like in a petri dish somewhere um i'll find out the name of that book but that if you put that together with the tattoo 
I think you can kind of see that it's just, you know, maybe this mutation is going to be these two are never going to never going to die because their cells are just going to keep going and going and going. And who knows? It's it's a <laughs> it's a very cyclical thing about the idea of life and death. So, yeah. So when this film finished, did you feel satisfied with this being potentially a standalone? Because I know you mentioned Alex Garland wasn't having the next two books in mind when he was making this he wanted to make this story and pretty much this story only in the way he wanted to do it because I know he even said to Jeff Vandermeer like I can't do this exactly like the book if you want that you'll have to get someone else kind of thing and personally you know if Annihilation is all we get from the trilogy I think I'm fine with that because the way they started and ended this story and sort of ha- had the shimmer come full circle and everything worked really well. Yeah. And so I know the two, the next two books, um, acceptance and authority, or it's authority and then acceptance dive into the shimmer uh, or not. It's not even the shimmer. It's just called area X, but they dive into the area a lot more. And I, obviously I think this film kind of like ends it. And I don't know. I know Jeff Vandermeer kind of worked a little bit with Alex Garland and he even said he loved what he did with it. So I don't know if Jeff Vandermeer, and I haven't read the next two books, but I don't know if he kind of gave like an insight of like, oh yeah, uh, this is kind of how you could end it or something, or if Alex Garland just did his whole um, own thing. So, but I'm, I was very satisfied. Like I, I left that theater and I am still thinking about that movie and I'm still like blown away by it. And, you know, so this is kind of something I want to talk about because everyone keeps talking about this. I've listened to a lot of podcasts about the movie, but everyone's just like, why was this film made? Because it's a standalone sci-fi film with a kind of crazy idea, crazy visuals. Paramount like dropped its international release. And so it's just interesting to see you know, this movie on its own. And it's not doing horrible. But I don't know, like, what's your what's your take of, you know, the sci fi film market and how it's received? Because this is obviously not like an everybody general audience movie. It's a very thinking movie, theory movie, very um, layered and dense, but it's also just really beautiful. So what do you what do you think about this film in the in the market it's competing with, or even in the market in general? I think because this film is rated R2, that really limits the audience you're going to get for it. Because Very true. It's one of those things where it was definitely violent, but I almost feel like the affair is why it was rated R more than that. <laughs> more yeah. than the bear and stuff like that. But it's just one of those things where as soon as you hit that R rating you know you aren't going to hit that wide range of audiences like something like Star Wars or the Marvel and DC movies just because, you know, that takes out a big demographic. A bunch of teenagers still go see movies. Right. And I feel like with sci-fi, depending on how you want to do the film, it's definitely really hard to have such a specific genre appeal to a bunch of people like I don't know if we'll ever get something like Star Wars again in our lifetime that sort of just appeals to a very very wide range of people and even with the superhero movies and everything some of them you don't even really have to like superheroes to enjoy 
a superhero movie. And I think movies like Black Panther definitely open up new audiences to these films, too. So that's still happening in a sense because you can call Star Wars and probably a lot of the superhero movies somewhat sci-fi. Because what we see in Black Panther and Iron Man, we're seeing all of this really cool technology that isn't real. So it is science fiction in a sense. But when you're talking about movies like Annihilation or even Arrival, it's something so specific where you're like, okay, well, we can't really relate to aliens being around or you know they're just inherently less relatable to a lot of people because you're like okay well there's no way this is going to be a thing that ever happens and I feel like that deters some people and like I said at the top of the episode I'm not a huge sci-fi person it's been growing on me a bit more so I've been willing to go see things like this and like I said we talked about Arrival and everything but I feel like it's just a smaller fan base in general for science fiction stuff. Yeah. And so there was a lot of people that were very much giving the film a hard time, like Annihilation a hard time, because Paramount is this big studio that allowed Alex Garland to make this film. And the budget was a repeat, like technically 40 to 55 million. That's how much they made. That's how much it took to make this movie, which is tiny. And I think it's a good number to make this movie. But so Paramount stripped its international release and sold it to Netflix for like roughly the budget that the movie was made. So, and right now the film is probably going to make 30 million just in the United States and China alone. That's incredible for a film like this because it's very small. I mean, last night it's on what it's third week ish in theaters. And there were about, I don't know, 15, 16 people in there. And that's on a tiny, like, small back-of-the-theater market, like, market, you know? So I think this movie, and, like, it, you know, after Arrival and Ex Machina kind of were, like, these kind of well-done, made sci-fi films, we're starting to get more of them. But I just hope that, if even if it's not, like, the next movie or the next book is made into a movie, I hope there's more studios wanting to make movies like this. You know, using Denny Villeneuve or Alex Garland... And these kind of out there thinkers and make, allowing them to keep making movies. Because I think Paramount messed up by taking the movie away out of theaters. Because I think it definitely would have made its money back. 100% would have made its money back. And it, I mean, right now it's profiting. So there, I just hope people see this as like a success for sci-fi and this kind of film in general. Because it's not fair that... You know, it got taken away from the international because this. I took my mom to it, and you know, she doesn't really like these movies either. But she said it was good, and I just think people needed and to see this in like a theater environment because the score, the visuals are made for that giant screen and those huge, huge, huge sounding moments. So I don't know. It's 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 interesting how. I don't know, these markets are these days. And yeah, the point about superheroes, all of that's fake too. So I don't understand why like there's such a difference sometimes where it's like, well, this movie had an alien. I'm like, well, every single Avengers seems to have an alien. So what's the difference? It's funny. <laughs> that's like, it's, it's, it's interesting. 
I think with the superheroes, it helps that their characters people are already familiar with, too, because they existed for so many years in the comics. And there's all this backstory that, you know, the hardcore comic book fans are going to want to pick out those things in the movies. But when you have an all new property, basically, because these Vandermeer novels aren't that old. It's not like, you know, they've been around for years and years and years and everyone was reading them in high school or something like that. So, right. It's definitely one of those things where I feel like this and like Ex Machina are sort of on the same level because from just Googling box office numbers here, they're saying that as of March 16th, Annihilation is at just over 28 million domestically and Ex Machina made 36.9 million in the United States. So, you know, those are kind of close enough to where you get this sense that you know the sci-fi movies aren't going to make as much and a lot of people really liked ex machina yeah and that was actually one of the more recent sci-fi films that i started with because i watched that and then i watched you know like i said arrival and this but then you have something like red sparrow which a lot of people feel very middle of the road on and that's already made over 40 million dollars And I think, you know, that's because it's sort of like this spy story and you have Jennifer Lawrence in it. I don't know if people get quite as excited as you do about Natalie Portman movies these days. It just (laughs) seems like, you know, like she's there. She's very good. But Jennifer Lawrence is someone who people are like, oh, what's she going to do next? And people are sort of constantly talking about her for the last few years. So it really just depends, too. Yeah, and I don't know. I'm I'm always hyped on anything Natalie Portman's done because her, I so I think that she is probably one of the most underrated actresses that is around, kind of like uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, where these two take risks in being in movies that are really conceptually like different. Like obviously with Natalie Portman being in V for Vendetta, and then she was in um, Black Swan. Those two like. Black Swan is one of the crazy, and she won an award for that, but that's like one of the craziest movies. And so her taking on Annihilation and killing, absolutely nailing it, was fantastic. And we can talk more about Jake Gyllenhaal later, but I think these people that are willing to take these kind of movies and, you know, star in them need to be like praised a lot more. And they need, I think people need to like give these styles a chance because there's so much to see in do in these movies and i don't know yeah red sparrow is interesting but like i feel like that story has been told so many times you know with freaking matt damon's movies and they're doing another mission impossible like these movies have been happening for years and they do well which you know might just be a lack of us wanting change but i don't know yeah and the thing is too you know natalie portman has been in these really big movies she was in you know the least favorite star wars trilogy and even though it was the least favorite (laughs) star wars trilogy it still made so much money right like i'm looking at episode one and it says that the box office still was over a billion dollars and i know you know that was when movies were more popular because you couldn't get stuff on Netflix really. And you couldn't just, you know, get them and watch them on your home theater as easily or digitally or anything like that. Cause this was what 1999 that the Phantom Menace came out. So 
it yep. is certainly I think they adjusted that though maybe a little bit but still the budget for it was 115 million and domestically it made over 400 million that's nothing to scoff at by any means even if people don't look back on those movies as fondly it's like people still flock to it because it was Star Wars right and it's yeah I mean, she's crushed it for most of her career. I mean, with uh, J- she was Jet and Jackie, or Jane got a dun- Jane got a gun, which was just like kind of a nice little, I don't know, fun thing to watch. Or Brothers, or Illusions and Mirrors, that short film. Um, and she's also done comedy roles, like No Strings Attached. So she's definitely one of those underrated actresses that I think needs to get more praise, like what Jennifer Lawrence gets. But I don't know. It's 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 an interesting market these days, but I am very satisfied with Annihilation. And anyone listening, give the film a chance. It's there's a lot of lot of lot of layers to it, but it is really wonderful to look at. Yeah, and let's not forget she was also in the first two Thor movies, so she's definitely getting herself some money with these big, you know, yeah. these big titles that we've mentioned before. But I think you know, taking Star Wars and taking. Thor rolls on that sort of allows her to do some of these other roles like Annihilation because she's like okay I was in you know Star Wars I was in Marvel movies we're covered on that end so now I can go do these other things and a lot of people have been saying you know one for me and one for you is how some people do things in the movie industry like Jordan Peele did get out for himself but then he still has, you know, these things he'll probably do for a movie studio and then he'll get to do his own thing again. So I find the movie industry very, very interesting. And I think we could probably do like a whole episode just on how weird the movie industry is. So, <laughs> you know, it's something we could talk about for a while here. But is there any last minute things you want to bring up for the film or do we cover everything? Um, pretty much covered everything. Um, I'm excited to see what Alex Garland does next because I looked at his repertoire of what he's done and he also, he did do Ex Machina. Okay. So it is funny. Yeah. Definitely give this movie a chance. Um, you can read the book before or after, but don't expect them to be anything alike. Yeah. And yeah, that's about it. I'm proud. I saw this movie. I'm proud it was made or I'm not even proud. I'm just happy, but right. Yeah, well, I'm sure you and I will go back and forth as you read the next two books and I and eventually get to them. But as always, Sean, thank you so much for coming on and we will certainly have you back on. You've been on quite a bit lately here, so we're on a roll. This this has been very nice. <laughs> yes, I've I'm happy to I'm happy to do this. It's it's nice to be intellectual and, and you know, like not to make a pun but geek out about these things. That is the whole point of the podcast. And to our listeners, as always, thank you all for listening and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.